Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at goblackfoot.com slash apply. All right. Welcome in FCS Tackle Football fans to another episode of the FCS Football Talk podcast presented by Hero Sports and BetMGM. I'm your host, Sam Herter. I'm on Twitter at Sam Herter FCS. And today we are going to talk some Montana and Montana State football. And there is no one better to bring on to discuss those two programs than Coulter Nuanez. Uh, if you want great news and analysis on the Grizz and the Bobcats and really just the Big Sky Conference as a whole, be sure to follow his work at Coulter underscore Nuanez. And at Skyline Sports MT on Twitter, read his stuff on SkylineSportsMT.com. And you can also listen to his daily uh, daily sports radio show uh, on ESPN Missoula. It's called Nuanas Now. Uh, you can find it in podcast form, which is what I do uh, to get caught up in all the Grizz and Bobcat and Big Sky football news. Uh, you can find that on podcast form and on you know all, all the different platforms. So, uh, you know, Coulter has been nice enough to have me on his show a number of times throughout these years. And uh, so I knew I needed to get him on this podcast during this offseason guest series I've been doing. Uh, with all that said, Coulter, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for coming on. You're hired, man. You're you're my agent. You got it down. You nailed it. You did it even better than I could do it. Thanks for that intro. That was nice. And uh, yeah, lots of places you can find our stuff. But uh, excited to talk spring football. Uh, it's the the evolution of spring football is so different. It's also so interesting to me sort of to overlay Montana and Montana State the way that they have throughout the years operated sometimes similarly, sometimes differently. I mean, Jeff Choate, the former Montana State head coach, had such a disdain for spring ball that spring ball's analysis out of MSU became such an interesting deal. And uh, now here we are with Brent Vegan and, and Bobby Houck leading the way for the respective programs. So should be fun and uh, definitely interested to talk it all out because uh, it, it's been going on in Montana for more than two months because the Grizz started a full three weeks earlier than the Cats and then had a spring break in the middle of that, yet still wrapped on April 8th. And then the Cats didn't get done until this last weekend. So we've been talking spring ball a lot on uh, my radio show and then covered it a lot as well at Skyline Sports. So uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. So definitely excited to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we have a, a ton of, of stuff to get into. Kind of big picture look at uh, at the programs in general and their rise back up. Also look ahead to the 2022 uh, seasons for both. Uh, but I, I wanted to kick things off here with a, it's a pretty simple, but I think an important uh, question because my goal with these offseason and guest interviews, you know, is for me and also FCS fans from all, all over to learn about specific regions or conferences or teams. And I've always been so fascinated in Montana, not only just the state in general, but the two FCS teams within it, the game day atmospheres and the level of media coverage they have in the state and the two rabid fan bases, you know, there's no nearby FCS school or FBS schools to compete with for attention. You have the rivalry between the two, all of those things. And Colter, you've been a part of this for years. And so it's probably all second nature to you, you know, the passion. So you're probably used to it, but it is unique in the world of FCS to have basically an entire state all in you know, on the FCS football teams in that state. So kind of, it probably is a loaded question, but how would you describe the energy, you know, the, the passion that Montana has for Bobcat football and Grizz football? It's a great question. And uh, I've worked in media in Montana, I guess it'll be 16 years now. And, um, you know, between newspapers and magazines to then 
you know, my own enterprise and, and then partnering with ESPN and now having a daily radio and TV show and, and all of it. So I touched on every medium, but the one thing you know, people ask me about my radio show and, and we obviously talk a ton about the two colleges football a lot, but also basketball, men's and women's basketball. And we talk, I mean, we talk about everything. We were talking tennis all week last week because the Bobcats <laughs> ended up winning the big sky in tennis this last week in men's tennis too. So that's all to say that there's a fierce passion for college football in Montana, but there's a fierce passion for sports in Montana as well. Montana is so geographically massive and still so relatively unpopulated. I mean, we talk about the big cities in Montana, like like being Bozeman and Missoula and Billings. And, you know, I mean, Billings has over 100,000 people now, but I mean, Missoula is still not quite to 100,000. Bozeman's this booming metropolis, you know, at a whopping 65,000 people. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is still really a rural state, but I also think that in Montana, sort of the lifestyle, particularly outside the cities, so many people still live really rurally. It's still a very industry-based and agriculturally-based state. And as we know, in living in these cold weather states, sometimes the winters are brutal. And that's all to say that you need to be friends with your neighbor because there's going to be a chance that they're going to you're going to need something from them. Well, the, what's the biggest common ground we can have to talk about? Sports. And so I think it's it's a similar dynamic that we see in in you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, even Minnesota. Uh, but I, I do think that uh, it is so cool for Montana. Also, the thing that's so neat and so uh, interesting to me about Montana is so uh, so often and so much of what happens here doesn't matter at all to the rest of the world, but it matters the world to the people here. And I tell all the new TV people, because, you know, as you know, TV is sort of a, ro a rotating door that's based on market. And it's so rare you're ever going to get a TV person that's going to stay in a small market like Missoula or Bozeman for uh, very long. You know, Sean Rainey now here in Missoula is kind of an exception. He's been here for about 10 years and he's doing a, a heck of a job. But I always tell the TV people that, you know, I said, what you're going to cover here doesn't matter a single ounce to anybody outside the state of Montana, unless it's football. I mean, the, the football teams do matter to the FCS, but it matters the world to the people. And I think that's what's so neat about it. And then you get into the actual rivalry when it comes to the colleges and then you get into the rivalry when it comes to the football field. And I actually think for all of that wonderful thing, all those wonderful things I just said about Montana, I do think that the college football rivalry gets a little bit over the top sometimes it's a little bit toxic you know like for example i just wrote this long form piece all about troy anderson and i've been working on it since he was basically a freshman in college you know some six years ago and uh, i'm proud of it it's it, it took me hours and hours and weeks and weeks and quite honestly the reporting took me years and uh, it's just so interesting because, you know, you go online and you see all the comments and there's all sorts of great feedback. But then there's also all sorts of Grizz fans being like, well, this kid's really not that good. And it's like, what is happening? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> the guy's just from a <laughs> tiny town in Dillon, Montana. I, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes the fans are blinded by their passion. All that's to say, though, that's a wonderful circumstance to be in because having passionate fan bases is uh, I mean it helps us have jobs, but also it's uh, it's just awesome to cover, and so it is fun. It is a great place, and uh, it is a place where the, the passion is almost unrivaled, just in terms of the percentage of the people. Right, like you can go to L.A. and and there's millions of people that like the Lakers. There's also tens of millions of people that don't care about the Lakers at all. You'd be hard pressed in Montana to not to have anybody you ever meet not have at least like an inkling of what they think of the rivalry or or if they're living in Missoula what they think of the cats or if they're living in Bozeman what they think of the Grizz so the passion is is fun and it's it's great to be a part of it's great to be in the center of uh as we are at uh, Skyline covering both sides yeah and we're going to talk about the big picture national look at both programs but I I I did want to uh, bring up the one guy you just mentioned because it is draft week. Uh, and I want to ask a little bit about Troy Anderson and 
we don't necessarily need to talk about his background because I think anyone listening to this probably, you know, For sure. understands his background, you know, the stuff the national NFL journals love about him, you know, growing up on a ranch in, in Montana and, you know, becoming a superstar, you know, in, in state there, you know, with all the positions he played, I think anyone listening kind of, he, they already know that about Troy. Um, and he will very likely hear his name called sometime in the first three rounds uh, of the NFL draft this week. And so, I guess describe what Troy is like, not really as a player, but what type of figure he is in the state of Montana, because it seems like he already has that legendary status about him. We've been talking about this exact concept on Nuan is now my daily show for the last couple of weeks, not just through the lens of Troy Anderson, but just the lens of myth making in general. And, and how does somebody reach the level where it, it's very rare this day and age with Twitter and Facebook and all of these different outlets that anybody is a secret or that anybody is really enigmatic anymore. And if you are enigmatic, sometimes you're doing it intentionally and to your own uh, sort of detriment. I mean, Kawhi Leonard could be described as enigmatic in the NBA, and I think it makes him way less likable and way less popular. But Troy Anderson is the true throwback enigma. And part of it is because, like you're saying, The NFL journals, they all love that this kid grew up on a cattle ranch and lived in a farmhouse and all this stuff. Well, that's not that anomalous in Montana. So half the people that he sees in Montana are like, oh, I'm a cowboy too. That's cool. You're a cowboy. I'm a cowboy. That's great. So that part, you know, I don't think he thinks it's that weird or unique. But that's the other thing about Troy Anderson is when I was writing the story, I was like, man, I was thinking, man, a lot of people around Montana are going to read this. And I really hope that they, they appreciate it. And then I thought to myself, probably the number one Montanan who's not going to read this is Troy Anderson. <laughs> and it's because he's just completely uh, outside of it. And I think that's what makes him have this sort of mythical status. Almost every athlete, and this is not even a slight to athletes, it's just the modern culture. But almost every athlete that's had the, the adoration and the exposure and the praise that Troy Anderson has had over the last five or six years would certainly at least at some point, self-congratulate themselves. Troy Anderson has not tweeted about himself since he was in middle school. So he, he he's completely averse from the attention. And I don't even think it's like this tactful decision. I just really think that he lives in this different world. I, the, the least surprising person to Troy Anderson that he can do what he can do is Troy, but he also doesn't let that go to his head. And so I think that's why he was able to play four positions at an All-American level in college. And I think that was why he was able to operate like he did with such humility, uh, but also being so willing to do so many different things. And I think that's why his upside in the NFL is crazy, because I do think that teams might get him as an inside linebacker and try to develop him further than what he was uh, this last year in his lone season playing on the inside. But I also think that if a team wanted a a stated goal to turn him into a different position, I think he could absolutely do that as well. So I I think his physical gifts and his makeup combined with uh, sort of his understated and old school personality, I think that's the thing that gives him such a huge shot at the next level. Yeah. Let's talk about now the climb back up into, I guess, national relevancy for both programs. And let's, let's start by, I guess, going back to about the mid 2010s. And those were some, down years for the Bobcats and the Grizz. And I mean, they weren't terrible, but they weren't obviously reaching the expectations the fan bases have. You know, both teams were pretty good in 2014. And then the fall off after that year started to begin uh, a little bit from an outside perspective. You know, the Bob Stitt era at Montana, 
began with a bang, you know, against NDSU winning on ESPN uh, and it ended with him getting fired, you know, in 2017 after a seven and four season, which kind of goes to show the level of expectations that program has. And, you know, Montana was kind of running that up-tempo pass happy offense that just didn't really seem to fit that program. You know, meanwhile, Montana state, uh, they had a losing record in 2015. That was, uh, I believe Rob Ash's final season. Uh, and then the Bobcats were also, you know, kind of playing this up-tempo shootout fashion, you know, winning or losing games where both teams score in the forties. Again, just didn't really seem like the style of play for that type of program. You know, the Bobcats hired Jeff Choate. He has a couple losing seasons in 2016, 2017, as he's overhauling the program and then gets them back to the playoffs in 2018. Um, and then we know, you know, Montana hired Bobby Houck uh, in 2018, I believe. And he got that program, you know, back on track. But before we talk about the rise back up, what was that period of time like in the state and it's, you know, diehard football fans in like the 2015 to 2017 range where the programs were quote unquote struggling, they kind of slipped out of national FCS realms, uh, relevancy. What was that, those three kind of years like between 2015 and 2017 covering the teams and, you know, just what the fan bases were like during those times? Well, it was, it was totally one of a kind because, I mean, Montana had winning seasons every year from 1986 all the way in through, until 2010. So that's a span of, what, 24 years in a row, I believe, it was the longest streak in Division One. When that streak ended in 2010, uh, or I guess it would have been 2012, so it was, it was 26 years. When that streak ended in 2012, when the Bobcats won in Missoula, and then a couple years later, the Cats had a losing season. That was the Cats' first losing season in 15 years. So you're talking about two of the longer streaks in Division One football. So the fans really didn't know what to do. I mean, they, they were sort of beside themselves in terms of, of uh, where it was all at. It was also so fascinating because the Big Sky Conference, since Idaho, Boise State, and Nevada all left in the mid-1990s, they, they hitched their wagon to the Montana schools, specifically Montana. And Montana was such a phenomenal lead horse, so to speak, uh, and won the national championship in 95, went to the national championship in 96, and that sparked this run where they played in seven national championships in 14 years, won two of them, won the big sky like 12 years in a row. It was an unprecedented uh, string of dominance. And then Montana State sort of took it in the early 2010s, and they won those three straight Big Sky titles, 2010 to 2012. And so then the fall off, not only was it uh, profound for the in-state reaction, but also it was such a huge opportunity for the rest of the league. And this all happened to coincide with the league going from nine teams to 13 teams. And so now all of a sudden you have this massive swath. You have eight different states represented. You got three California schools, the Senate just one, and you have this unbalanced schedule and there's all these different factors. You got this uh, upstart program in Southern Utah that can recruit totally differently than almost anybody else in the league. But then you have this public Ivy and UC Davis that has this academic uh, piece that they can sell while also having football tradition, even though it might only be at the division two level and all these different things. And so I think that the rise of the other teams in the Big Sky Conference happened in part because of the pace that was set by the Montana schools, but it also happened in part because of the Montana schools losing their footing for a minute and that opening up these huge opportunities. And so there's two sides to every story, right? Jay Hill deserves a ton of credit at Weber State for the run he went on and, and it still has been on with Weber State, you know, winning the league multiple times in a row, winning playoff games, all that stuff. But part of that was also the Montana schools not being where they once were. It's the same thing with Southern Utah's run or North Dakota's flash before they left to go to the Missouri Valley and on down the line. So uh, it was pretty interesting, but I think that that's where you kind of have seen it since 
Jeff Choate was hired, and since Bobby Houck was brought back in, then you saw the Montana school sort of start to seize the control again. And it's so interesting that now you see these two programs having probably the most momentum and the most uh, upward trajectory of the of any of the schools in the Big Sky Conference. And at the exact same time, coincidentally or not, I think that the trajectory of almost every other school in the Big Sky is not as rapid as it once was. So except for maybe Sac State, they're sort of the anomaly right now because Troy Taylor has sort of come out of nowhere and just somehow quietly won two straight Big Sky championships. Uh, but that's all to say, it is sort of a, a pendulum, but it is also sort of like a yin and a yang. And so I think that the Montana schools being back has had a, a huge influence on the rest of the league. But I also think the rest of the league really benefited from those uh, the two programs being down. You mentioned the the offensive stuff. So much of this too, you can you can. I don't want to get too much into the minutia of it, but Montana, because it is such a rural state, and up until this this last couple of years of this infiltration of all sorts of big tech and and people that are working remotely, wages in Montana are not that high. Cost of living it used to not be that high. It's it's skyrocketing right now. But that's all to say that the salaries and stuff like that here have always been very low, especially for the assistants. And so in Montana, the way that it's all determined is that the Board of Regents gives each football program a pool of money for their assistance well they figured out a way to raise more money to supplement that and so they've been able to become more competitive but part of like montana state's sort of offensive volatility came from the fact that they were so good on offense during the denarius mcgee era 2010 to 2012 that they had a new offensive coordinator every year i think they had a new offensive coordinator six years in a row so then they started they kept changing offensive identities over and over and over again until all of a sudden they have this guy who comes from the chip kelly coaching tree in Tim Cramsey, who's running basically the Oregon-style spread. And you're right, it was a little bit atypical for what you'd think you'd want to run in Bozeman, Montana. And it also had a, sort of a, a direct correlation with their demise defensively. And then that's all to say that it, it comes all the way back around, and then they hire basically a cowboy from West, Montana Western and Jeff Joe to come in here and, and get them back to their, their identity that had been for so long, whether you're talking the Sonny Holland Bobcats or the Cliff Heisel Bobcats or the Mike Kramer Bobcats. And they went back to a ground and pound team that was based on defense. And it was sort of the same thing of Montana. I, I would actually say that probably one of the most outside the box or the riskiest, and in retrospect, maybe one of the least uh, good fits that there's ever been hired in Montana was when they hired Bob Stitt. And I think Bob Stitt's a good coach. And I do, I do think his system works at certain places. He just doesn't work at Montana. And he also had a hard time understanding the expectations at Montana as well. Like I remember when they beat South Dakota State in the first round of the playoffs his first year. And that was only his third playoff win in his career. And it was his first Division One playoff win. And, and he was so excited about it. And then I think he was so taken aback by how not excited anybody else was by it because they were just like all right cool what are you gonna do now you gotta go to the final four if you're the grizz that's what grizz fans expect for better or worse the people that follow montana football have final four or bust expectations every year because they experienced this run where they were in the final four every year for almost two decades so uh the high expectations, I think, is what really killed them more than the system when they had Bob Stitt. But then they they bring Bobby Houck back and they got the thing back on track. So it, that's all to say that you're right. Uh, it was a different and, and weird time. I think it opened up a lot of doors for teams around the rest of the league. But I think now here they are and uh, they brought it all the way back around. And now they have, I think, and, and Brent Vegan's sort of, uh, he's cut from a, a similar cloth. He's certainly not the prophesizing and, and fast-talking, intense guy like Jeff Choate. Choate is a one-of-a-kind in any realm, any circle. But I do think Vegan sort of fits the mold a little bit as well. So I think that right now, here we are with both the Montana schools with guys leading the programs and, and sort of identities that sort of fit 
the past and the present and also fit sort of the narrative of the programs and also sort of fit the place that they're in. Yeah, it has been interesting, you know, kind of the the, the, the changes within the Big Sky Conference as far as the identity uh, of the Big Sky Conference. Because I think, you know, when Eastern Washington won the title in 2010, you know, they were kind of that, that high-flying offense. And it seemed like, you know, that's kind of where the Big Sky shifted to, to to try to match, you know, Eastern Washington. And you had so many high-scoring games in the Big Sky. And, you know, from from the outside, there was a lot of people calling the Big Sky the Big Fluffy back, <laughs> back in 2014, <laughs> yep, 15, 16, yep. um, because it was a lot of offense, no defense. And and, you know, some of that had to do with, you know, you had quarterbacks like, uh, you know, Prukop and Vernon Adams, and then, you know, a little bit more recently, Case Cookus and Jake Mayer, like so many good quarterbacks in there that you kind of understood why the games were such high scoring. But I think now there's been a shift back to, you know, more emphasis on defense and running the ball. And I think then the rise of Weber State happened where, you know, Jay Hill would love nothing more than to win games, you know, 16 to 7, 17 to 7. Uh, you had Montana, Montana State rising back up and they had a different style of play. And I think even like UC Davis is, you know, they have some good offensive players, but they played really good defense this last year and, and had a good rushing attack. And so just kind of the, the the change in the evolution of the Big Sky Conference and the style of play, I think, has been interesting. And, you know, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about Montana State and their rise back up because we could – you mentioned Jeff Choden. I know we could probably spend 30 minutes about the enigma, the, the enigma that was and is Jeff Choate and, you know, just, you know, how, how popular he was in the town of Bozeman. But I wanted to touch on the dynamic of Montana State going from Choate to Brent Vegan, you know, as the head coach of that program, because I think Choate could probably run for mayor right now in Bozeman and probably win oh, it. Yeah. He oh, brought yeah. the energy. He had the sound bites, uh, you know, to get the fan base pumped up. Uh, he got Montana state back into a playoff team uh, after, after a couple of years of rebuilding that program back up, you know, then he leaves and vegan comes in and he gets the Bobcats from a semifinal team in 2019, you know, to uh, an appearance in the title game in his first season this last year. And so how has the fan base I guess, handled that switch from Choate, who was pretty much like the face of the franchise, for lack of a better term, to a more, this is not a negative thing, but a more vanilla coach who's not going to win anyone over at a press conference, but the results on the field this last year spoke for itself. And so it's, it was a kind of a a drastic change at the, at the top there, but how has the fan base kind of handled that switch from the shock of losing vegan to the or shock of losing Choate to, to this new you know coach coming in that's a little bit different but the results like I said speak for itself let's just say that time a lot and December did Brett vegan a ton of good because it was just so interesting that my you know Montana State was sitting there at nine and one going to the Bobcat Grizz game they're number three in the country yet it was still sort of a wait and see approach for almost everybody because there's you know the part of it is so many of the dudes that Montana State was winning with are, are choke guys. Uh, I do think that people appreciated the steady hand. I mean, Montana State was certainly a lot less volatile all the way across the board uh, from the moment that Vegan arrived. And I also think Vegan did something so smart in that he didn't try to make anything too complicated and he didn't want to screw anything up. So he just rode the, he rode the stable that Choke gave him, which was a formidable stable with some of the great seniors that uh, the program has ever seen. But you also have to think that certain guys even took a next step up 
because of a coaching change. Like Lance McCutcheon probably would have just been a glorified blocker for the fourth time in his career. Instead, he was an 1,100-yard receiver, had one of the greatest seasons in the history of Bobcat football on the outside. And you know, Daniel Hardy sort of floated around different positions. Well, they put him at one spot and made him learn how to play defensive end. He goes out and has 17 sacks and is an All-American. Troy Anderson. Didn't touch, I mean, touched the ball like three times instead of having to, you know, have hundreds of carries while also <laughs> playing defense, you know? So that steadiness, I think, really helped them. But I do think that when the Bobcats got whipped in Missoula, there was a lot of people that were like, what's going on? We want Choke back. What? You know, because it is it is an overvalued uh, game every year. It's a great game, great rivalry, but also it is just one game. And, and as the Bobcats prove, you can lose the game handily. You can get whipped in the game and still go on a run. But the Cats did go on a run. And so I think that the, the formula that Brett Deegan brought to the table, knowing how to win in the playoffs, combined with the way that Tommy Mallott took the world by storm after Matt McKay ditched out and went to the transfer portal, and then the fact that it culminated with a showdown in, in Frisco against North Dakota State, I think it bought a lot of time. People always ask me, what do I think of the state of Bobcat football? I really like Brett Deegan. I really like dealing with him. I think that he's really, really uh, easy to work with. I think he's really good to talk to, just talking ball. Uh, he, you know, Again, he's not going to set the world on fire like Choate, but who does? I mean, Choate's one of the most compelling speakers I've ever been around, period, like any realm of, of the world. So it's hard to live up to that. But I also think, though, that we're not going to know about Deegan for a while because I think that he's his, his X's and O's, his – program style, his steady hand, that's already proven to me. And I think that that's all really good. But as we know in college football, it's all about the dudes you bring in. And it remains to be seen uh, the recruiting level that Vegan can reach. But they also have so many guys from Choate's time still left over. They haven't had nearly the mass exodus that people might expect, considering how beloved Choate was and how many guys he left on that roster. And so this, even this next year, they're going to have a, a pretty much lineup stocked full of guys that Choate staff brought in. And so I do think we're going to. it's going to be a couple of years before we really can evaluate this. Because not only was Chote a great talker, a great professor of his vision, he's also a hell of a recruiter. So uh, they still have plenty of talent at Montana State. So it remains to be seen. But I do think that that uh, it could have been a disaster. Let's say Montana State gets blown out by Montana, like they did. And then they go and they fizzle out in the playoffs. It would have been real bad. It would have been a bad offseason for the Bobcats, given mm -hmm. the level of talent they had. But the fact that they went on the great run and had one of the great wins in their program's history, you can say whatever you want about Sam Houston State coming out of a, a spring season and being out of gas, whatever. The fact of the matter is Montana State had never won a playoff game on the road ever, ever in their history until they went to Sam Houston and won that game. So it's one of the great wins in program history. And it also set the stage for then – them having a lot more rope this whole offseason going into this next season. And uh, I think it I think it was a great run that that was necessary uh, for Vegan to, to keep everything together in Bozeman. Alpine Touch is legendary around the state of Montana for providing delicious seasonings for every grilling occasion. Now Alpine Touch offers so much more, from a savory new barbecue sauce to delicious popcorn seasoning, in addition to the classic. Alpine Touch offers a variety of flavored seasoning salts for whatever occasion you need to spice up. Now that the holidays are over, Alpine Touch makes a perfect thank you gift to show your friends and relatives you love them. Alpine Touch, available at retail locations around western Montana. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. How necessary was that win uh, in the rivalry game, the Brawl of the Wild, uh, which I know you don't, you're not a huge fan of that, of that, <laughs> of that nickname. I've heard you talk about that before. That's, that's a different discussion. But you talked about how necessary that run was for Montana State uh, and for Vegan. How necessary was that 
win in Missoula for Bobby Houck uh, because he was obviously turning things around for the Grizz, but I think he was, what have you been, 0-2 uh, against the Bobcats uh, in, in his second stint now back? I think he was 0-2 before That's right. you know, winning That's this right. one. Yeah. So how, how important was just getting that win for him? Well, absolutely, but also then you got to think that uh, the Grizz only beat the Bobcats one time in Missoula before that. Right. And so it would have been their fifth loss. I'm talking in the last decade or so. So you're talking about that would have been Montana's fifth loss to the Cats in their last six games in Missoula. Like the Grizz don't lose in Missoula ever. No matter what's the status of the program, they do not lose in Missoula. And so that would have been uh, a catastrophe for Montana if they would have lost again. Uh, it, it was definitely a huge priority. I think that not only did the Grizz win that game, but they won it in a very Bobby Houck way. I mean, they only really scored the one offensive touchdown right out the gates on the second play of the game. And then they just completely drowned Montana State in momentum. I mean, they they just dogpiled on with great special teams play, awesome defensive play. They smothered the Cats. It was a vintage Houck win. And I think it was a welcome sight for, for the Grizz fan base. And uh, that game is sort of a, a blueprint for how Bobby Houck would love to win. He would love to have 29 to 10 over and over again. Like we were saying, Jay Hill loves 17 mm-hmm. to 7. 29 to 10 would be Bobby Houck's dream as well, especially if you're scoring a bunch of points on special teams and and uh, using momentum as the key factor to victory. I also think, though, the fact that Montana has one of the, the most veteran coaching staffs in the country and a, a head coach that has been at the place for more than 10 years, it's his alma mater. He's coached in so many of the Bobcat Grizz games. That going against a Montana State team that had a, a coach that never coached in it, coordinators that are both like in their early 30s that had never coached in it, it would have also been a lot of, of scuttle coming out of that if, if the if the newcomers would have been able to outduel the veterans. That also would have been a huge issue for people, I think. So uh, not only the way that they won, but also just the way that it impacted the whole narrative of the rivalry. I do. I think it's a, it was a really big win for Montana. Yeah, let's talk about Coach Houck a little bit because he, you know, came back uh, as the head coach for Montana in 2018, and most people, you know, probably know, but he was the head man uh, during Montana's peak in the 2000s, uh, and he kind of he turned things around relatively quickly. You know, in his first year, they did not make the playoffs, and I think that was. That would have been three years in a row that, if I'm remembering correctly, that Montana did not make the the, the FCS playoffs, which is again, but, basically, which is, is it's crazy yeah, think, because yeah. Montana made the playoffs 18 years in a row, <laughs> which is the most that any Division One programs ever had in terms of postseason stuff, and then to not make it three years in a row, it was it was just like outside of comprehension. Yeah. By the way, I I remember this quote, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. You can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but so after the, the 2017, uh, or in the 2017 season, uh, Montana States and Jeff Choate, they beat Montana, you know, Montana in 2017 finishes seven and four. If they would have won that game, uh, they would have made the playoffs, but, but the Grizz lose, they missed out on the playoffs. They, they let go of Bob Stitt. I'm pretty sure didn't Jeff Choate, this is kind of a, a side thing, but didn't Jeff, Jeff Choate have like a quote that said, you know, if anything, coach Hulk should thank me because he might not have have this job, you know, if, if I went to beat Montana, you know, to end the 2017 season, you know, saying that, saying that, you know, they would have came back had they made the playoff. And he was like, <laughs> yeah. it, it was like a joke, but like a, a playful jab. That was, he had, Choate said something along those lines, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. And, and Choate used to always, <laughs> he used to always say that the best thing I got going as Montana State's head coach is that Bob Stitt's the head coach of Montana. <laughs> and it was always it was always a jab because it, was, it wasn't even that he didn't think that Stitt couldn't win games. He just didn't think Stitt could win games against him because mm-hmm. that's the other thing. I mean, we talk about the styles of these coaches. Choate is the most 
uh, I don't want to say oblivious, but the, the most irreverent when it comes to not caring what people think about his style of play. Like I remember they beat Portland State in Bozeman in 2017 on this windy day, and they completed two passes for eight yards. But they also rushed for 420 yards, and it was like the third most in school history. And one of the reporters right after the game asked Cho, uh, he's like, what do you think of your one-sided offense? What do you think of your unbalanced offense? Is that an issue moving forward? And Cho's like, if I can run the ball for, three, for 400 yards, I will run the ball for 400 yards. And if that means we complete no passes, I do not care. <laughs> it was the same thing with him and Stitt. Like, he just knew that Stitt's two-by-two two spread offense, all that stuff, like, Nah, I'm just going to sit here and run the Wildcat, run the zone read, and, and just run the ball 65 times. I mean, it's exactly what they did to him in Missoula in 2016. They only completed two passes in that game as well, and they still won 24-17. So I think stylistically, Choke knew that he would always have the upper hand over Stitt, and I think that was a huge factor in Montana State beating Montana four years in a row. Yeah, those Montana State offenses in 2018 2019 were very very unique because the bobcats were run heavy yet they did it in such a unique way with uh, you know whether it's you know typical running with, with the fonse or they had different wildcat formations a couple of different wildcat quarterbacks to run the ball so yeah just really interesting uh you know how montana state uh, attack defenses uh back uh, under choate but getting back to bobby hauk now you know the the the, re- the results on the field were, were pretty much immediate you know i talked about how they did not make the playoffs in 2018 but in 2019 they made a run to the quarterfinals uh the first appearance in the quarterfinals since 2011 uh and then you know made it back to the quarterfinals this last year and so results were were, were obvious right there uh with coach hauk's return so what can you say about how coach Hauk operates, you know, how he wants this program to look and just overall how he runs, you know, a football program that has helped Montana get back to, you know, kind of being nationally relevant in, in, in a, a decent short manner. Well, as I mentioned, I thought that the, the biggest, so that's the thing about coaching at the Montana schools is, is sometimes the, the biggest factors aren't what you're calling your play calls, who your assistants are, or even who your players are. A lot of times it is your comprehension of what your actual job is and what the expectations are for your job. And I think that Bob Stitt got eaten up by the expectations. I thought that was his biggest flaw was not realizing it's not just that it's not just going seven and four. It's that he didn't think seven and four was an abject failure. And that's the thing I would say about Bobby Houck that makes him the perfect head coach for the University of Montana. Bobby Houck has uh, probably the greatest expectation of excellence of uh, any Grizz coach and uh, that, that they've had, at least in my time, covered them. And not only just as Grizz coaches, but of, of any Grizz, period. I think that Bobby Houck fully thinks that anything less than reaching the ultimate mountaintop is falling short of Montana's goal, their ultimate goal. And so I think that expectation of excellence rubs off on his players. That's also the way he coaches. He has such high demands for his individual players as well. And I think that's the thing you saw change right away. Again, you can talk all about scheme and what they're running on defense and all that stuff, but really the thing that just ratcheted up so hard right when Bobby got back was just how hard Montana plays. And you could say, I mean, everybody in Division I college football is playing hard, but Montana plays exceptionally hard. They they fly to the ball defensively. They party on the pile, like Coach Alka has always said. They are the best special teams in the entire country, and I don't, I don't think it's close. And uh, – that all stems from how can his identity and the way he demands uh, the, of the players. But I think that it, it's his it's his knowledge and his understanding of what the expectations are at Montana that, that make him such a great fit for the Grizz. 
And it is a little bit of a, a, a running bit, you know, on social media with Montana, as far as, you know, it's like, you know, nationally is Tiger Woods back or is Texas football back at the <laughs> right, FCS right. level is, 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 is Montana back. You know, I, I kind of go off of that bit and use hashtag back, or sometimes I even have a podcast segment, you know, called, you know, Montana Grizz hashtag back team of the week, where if like Jacksonville state upsets Florida state, like Jacksonville state is, is the Montana hashtag back team of the week. And it's, it's a running bit. And I think some Grizz fans like see that and they think like, I'm like, Oh, I, I, I hate the Montana schools and I'm, I'm <laughs> making fun of them because it's kind of the same thing with Montana state. Like they're, they're kind of back, you know, as well, but like, that's not the case as far. Like I'm not obviously cheering for any one team or cheering against any one team, but I said it all the way back in 2018 that the FCS needs Montana to be back. They need Montana state to be back. And I think that's even more apparent now with the gap and i've i've hammered this point home on this podcast all off season of, of the gap between ndsu and everyone else and then you have you know the three teams james mass and sam houston jacksonville state leaving so it seems like that gap is getting bigger and so like i i want montana to be hashtag back i want montana state you know to be back and they took a uh, another big leap you know they've kind of had this ascent over the last few years they took another big leap you know this season obviously coach vegan you know did a fantastic job leading the bobcats to the title game uh uh, against Montana uh, made another run to the quarterfinals. Uh, But again, once they got there, you know, I, I know the Grizz had quarterback injury, uh, leading receiver injury, but you could kind of see like James Madison had a different level of athlete than Montana. Kind of same thing in, maybe not a different level of athlete for the, the Frisco game uh, in the national title, but you could kind of tell that Montana state just wasn't, really close, you know, to match what NDSU could do, you know, in, in the trenches. And we all thought that was going to be a really competitive game and it, it, it didn't turn out that way. So all that, I, I guess my question is how close are these teams being to truly being threats to win a national title? Are they, are they close or are they still pretty far away? What, what do you think? I think it's possible for both Montana and Montana state to be getting exponentially closer to North Dakota state yet still be so far away. Mm-hmm. The, the cynic in me believes that North Dakota state's so far ahead of everybody that I don't know if North Dakota state's ever going to not win the national championship at the FCS level. I think the thing that I, I, a part of me thinks that the only thing that will ever derail the bison from not winning the national championship is if they move up, uh, you know, there is a world I live in where my, that where we're sitting here when we're like in our forties and North Dakota state's won like 16 out of 17. That's a real world, I think, but <laughs> But also, though, I do think that some of the facility stuff, we've seen this at NDSU, we've seen this at Montana, we've seen this at Weber State, we've seen this at Montana State, we've seen this across the board. We can debate recruiting all we ever wanted, and there's like player evaluations and there's great assistants that come in, head coaches, all that stuff. But the number one factor in getting uh, program-changing recruiting classes is facilities. It always has been. It's been this way for decades and decades and decades. But when you build a new facility and recruit to a new facility, it usually takes a few years for that to start to really pay fruition. Well, Montana opened the Champion Center uh, a couple years ago, and now they're, they're in their fourth year with the coaching staff, and the, the facility's been open for a couple years, and now they're starting to get higher-level recruits. Same thing in Montana State. They just opened the Bobcat Athletic Complex last year. They're recruiting to it. They're starting to get higher-level guys. The thing is, though, that's only part of the gap between them and NDSU. There's a talent gap for sure, but there's also just like the culture and tradition of winning, which I don't know how you ever catch NDSU in that. I mean, you know this as an NDSU alum. It's not that NDSU has just been winning the last 12 years in the FCS. NDSU has been winning championships 
at every level of football that they've played in since the 60s. So the tradition there and the expectation of excellence there is second to none in, in college football, really. I mean, how many conference championships does NDSU have? 30-something probably when you go back to the old uh, D2 days? I mean, it's unbelievable. So it's going to be hard for Montana, Montana State to ever close that part of the gap. So then how do you do it? I think you do have to do it with just continuing to pour resources into the program, continue to get better uh, athletes. And so, you know, how close are they? That's a good question because I think that on one hand, I think that even though the the uh, championship game was not very competitive, I do think Montana State last year's team wasn't as far away as maybe they looked in that 38 to 10 loss. That said, though, they, I think they still might be quite a ways away. It's the same thing at Montana. I think that Montana is so interesting because Bobby Helk has remade the defense in such an exceptional way. He's remade the special teams in such an exceptional way. I think if you were to really get him to tell you the honest to God truth, he would tell you that the Grizz last year were the best defense and best special teams he's ever coached as a, as a head coach in his career. That said, they're still so far away on offense. And it's not just quarterback. Montana and Montana State are never going to catch NDSU until they have the offensive lines that they used to have, particularly the Grizz. The Grizz used to have, if you looked at the Grizz starting offensive line, the whole starting lineup would be on the first or second team all-conference. The Grizz haven't had a first team all-conference guy in 11 years now on the offensive line. Until they get back to that, I don't know how they can possibly be all the way back, especially if Bobby Houck is their head coach, because it doesn't matter what their offensive coordinator is or what their scheme is, what their personnel is. It's in Bobby Houck's DNA to want to just thrash you on special teams and defense and then turn around and hand the ball to the running back. Like he always says, if we rush for 250 yards, we force a turnover and we get a big special teams play, you cannot beat us. Well, the 250 rushing yard part has been so elusive for uh, the Grizz since Houck's return. So I think they got to figure it out up front. But I also think that it remains to be seen, like what sort of facilities and what sort of, at, or I guess, what sort of athletes can the new facilities bring to the programs? I think that's another way that these schools could close the gap. Yeah, that's a great point. And it reminds me of two of my uh, favorite stories I've done for Hero Sports. One was talking to uh, the former recruiting co- uh, coordinator for South Dakota State. And I basically talked to, to him about his name is Dan Jackson. I, I think he's still he's at Northern Illinois, or actually he might be at Vanderbilt now. Um, but it, regardless, uh, I talked to him a few years ago asking him, like, how did South Dakota State go from, you know, in the early to mid 2010s, you know, they, they went from a second round team to to now, a, you know, a semifinal team. And he said, yeah, you know, one, one was recruiting, you know, how we went about recruiting guys instead of offering a bunch of guys like we, we zeroed in on guys we really wanted. Uh, but the big reason we were able to get those recruits uh, was because of our facilities, you know, upgrade. They got an indoor facility they, they um, basically revamped their entire uh, football stadium. And that crossed over with when I went to Bozeman in 2019 um, and I sat down with, with uh, Montana State's athletic direct athletic director leon costello uh and talked to like what they're doing to, to kind of reach that that next level and he talked about facilities and it was that interesting crossover because leon costello was at south dakota state uh, i think he's like the associate ad uh with the jack rabbits and he he helped raise a lot of that money uh to build those pro uh, to build those buildings uh those new facilities in brookings and then you know during that time when i was in bozeman in 2019 i think that was just the beginning phases of you know they raised the money uh to to build a new indoor facility you know with the locker rooms and workout facilities for for uh for the bobcats and so that was kind of that interesting you know crossover there and i think yeah having those facilities is very much important to to close the gap and i think it's it's very important for the FCS from a national perspective that Montana and Montana State 
keep on, you know, trying to close that gap because you look at the FCS now and, and who are the teams that can knock off or who are less about the teams, who are the programs that can knock off NDSU and you, and you look at teams that invest and that'd be South Dakota state, you know, Montana and Montana state. And so, you know, trying to close that gap. Um, I think, like you said, they're getting there, but at the same time, NDSU keeps on, I think coach vegan actually said it. He said, you look at what they were doing in Fargo. They keep on pushing the envelope. You know, South Dakota State puts up a new uh, practice facility. Montana, Montana State have new facilities. All of a sudden, NSU announces that they've raised $50 million, all privately donated for their own, you know, indoor facility that I guess is just supposed to be massive. That's going up right now. And so NSU keeps on, you know, pushing that envelope too. But uh, I do think that Montana, Montana State uh, are getting there. And you look at the 2020s and who knows what happens to division one football, but I think you are probably going to see semifinals filled with North Dakota state, South Dakota state, Montana and Montana state. And then maybe like a Delaware, Eastern Washington, Weber state sneaks in there, um, you know, every other year. But I, I do think Montana, Montana state fans are going to be happy, you know, with, with getting to, uh, you know, the final four of the FCS playoffs in the 2020s. No, for sure. It, it's uh, it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out, but it, as always, it is a facilities race and an arms race. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the day, in the beginning of the day, even when we're talking about the FCS level. Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Let's talk about 2022 uh, a little bit here, you know, quickly. I don't know. We're kind of running up on, on, a, on a long podcast here, but the offseason for several years now, the offseason or preseason storyline for the Bobcats has been the quarterback position. That's kind of been a revolving door. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case this year now, obviously, with freshman Phenom Tommy Malott. He's, he stepped in to be the starter for the playoffs, led them to the title game. So I guess two-parter here for you, Coulter. How is his health looking right now after suffering that lower leg injury in the title game? And is he is 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 touchdown Tommy? Is he the guy now? Is he the long long term multi year starter for Montana State? I think it's an interesting question because if you know the makeup of the kid and uh, just how gifted he is from a not just athletic standpoint, but I mean the kid was valedictorian of his high school. He is a perfect student at MSU. You know, I mean. He, he chose MSU over Montana and a lot of other offers because he's, he is such a good student. He wanted to be an engineer, all that stuff. But he's also just cut different. Like, he, he puts in an exceptional amount of extra work. He's a perfectionist. He's obsessed with it. That then all caters to, them, to him being a guy where I think if he stays healthy, he's going to maximize his capabilities as a quarterback. What are those? I'm not sure. That remains to be seen. But I, I do think that Tommy Watt's going to give you his best effort to be as good as he can possibly be. So then is that good enough? I'm not sure. But I watched him in the spring game, and I thought he looked pretty good. I think when you have a quarterback with that sort of exceptional athleticism, it's just such a huge stress on the defense, and you can get away with a lot. But also, Cats have made a habit of having running quarterbacks over the last handful of years, and, and Malat doesn't throw it like Prukop yet, but he throws it better than Chris Murray, and he throws it better than Troy Anderson. And those guys are good enough to get the Cats to the playoffs. So, But also, like we were talking about earlier, is that good enough? Is just the playoffs good enough? I'm not sure, but all I know is I think that Tommy Mallott, he will maximize his potential. Like he will, 
he will get as good as he can become. Just how good that can be, that remains to be seen. And looking at Montana now, I think from you know a 500 foot view, like the I think the, the number one question and storyline for Montana is the quarterback position. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's it's one A quarterback, one B offensive line because I, I think the offense line is is kind of a big question mark as well. But it, it kind of all always goes back to the quarterback situation. So, uh, what is the the quarterback situation looking like right now with the Grizz heading into 2022? Well, I, it was so um, almost impossible to analyze in spring. First of all, they closed spring practices for the first time. Then during the spring game. They didn't run anything. So I don't, I don't really know. Like, can they get back to the quick game stuff that they were doing with Dalton Sneed, have a real running threat at quarterback, and then how much does that sort of open things up on, on uh, offense? I'm not sure. So it's sort of a, um, a mystery to me in terms of what the Grizz are doing offensively. But I don't think you really bring in a, a guy like Lucas Johnson – Mm-hmm. from the Mountain West, grad transfer who started at San Diego State, unless you intend for him to be your guy. And I think that is their intention. But again, how good can he be? And is that it, it is good enough? I mean, that's the other part about the NDSU thing is that it's not just that they have multiple NFL offensive linemen. It's not just that they have such superb depth and such a winning culture and such a player run program. It's also that they've had four straight NFL quarterbacks <laughs> and they haven't really even had to fully rely on those guys to win them games. Those guys have been really good and they've never lost some games. They've certainly been huge factors in there in the machine that is NDSU, but it's not like Eastern Washington, where they're asking the guy to go out to throw for 450 yards and five touchdowns. I think it's a a wait and see still for Montana, but I do think that to me, it is the offensive line. Cause I do think that if they have a pretty good quarterback, they're so good on defense and special teams, they'll be able to get by and and even thrive if they have a decent quarterback, but they got to be decent. I think that last year, especially towards the middle of the year, their quarterback performance was subpar. And I mean, make no mistake. If Montana doesn't lose to Sac State at home, they probably get a different seed. They probably get a different draw, and maybe they win an extra playoff game. And then we're talking a different story with the Grizz, even though if it is just one extra win. But the difference between going on the road to James Madison and and maybe having a home game or even just going on the road to play somebody else, it could have made a huge difference for the Grizz. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But I do think that Montana – you're right. I think it's quarterback and offensive line that they need to really dig into and, and analyze it and figure out because I think they're really, really good across the board otherwise. Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at goblackfoot.com slash apply. And I know you said that it's it's hard to gauge this team right now in spring practice, just with with what spring spring ball is nowadays and how they've they've, they've closed it off a little bit. But you obviously know uh, there's you know the players that are coming back, and there are a lot of big names for Montana. And so, what is your overall expectation for how good this Grizz team will be in 2022? Are they a, a quarterfinal team, a semifinal team, uh, you know, a, a title team that that can make it to Frisco? What's what's kind of your your hundred foot view of of how good this team can be in 2022? Man, it's a great question. I think they're going to be lights out on defense. They're going to have a chance to be as good, if not better, defensively. I mean, how do you measure 
how good they are defensively because, I mean, how do you really get better than giving up like 13 points per game like they did last year? But I do think that they have some guys that are top-level guys at the FCS level. And uh, I think that they've settled into the system. I think they love playing with each other and for those coaches. But I think that the other big question mark besides offensive line and quarterback is the specialists. The Grizz lose one of, if not the best long snapper in the country in Matt O'Donnell. Lose one of the best punters in the country in Brian Buscini, the guy who made, I think, 17 or 18 straight field goals in Kevin Macias. And they don't really have anybody in the program right now. So they're going to have to go get some guys for sure, whether it's transfers or what. They have a couple kids coming in in their upcoming recruiting class, but what are those kids in terms of – are you really going to rely on freshmen? I don't know. Brian Buscini was a freshman last year, though, as a punter, so maybe they can do it. But Coach Houck wants to dominate you on special teams. Like, he wants his, his number one advantage – to be on special teams, whether it's forcing turnovers, blocking punts, blocking kicks, chipping away and, and taking the field goal every single time you give it to them, or you know, pinning you deep, field position, all that stuff. So they got to have those guys locked in. So what additions can they make this offseason, whether it's truly having faith in the freshmen they're bringing in or bringing in transfers, that's one part of it. I do think they're going to probably be on the transfer wire looking for some offensive linemen. That's another part of it. But then how much can they handle it? Because I do think that they think internally that this team is really, really good. I think they think it's national championship caliber. Can they live up to their own expectation when they project that expectation to the world at large? If they start to ever waver, how does that affect them as well? So I do think there's some exterior factors that go into it. But I do think Montana defensively and in their non-specialist levels of their special teams have the talent to absolutely make a run uh, deep into the playoffs. The rest of it remains to be seen. I think if they can figure out solutions on the offensive line and quarterback, I think they got great skill guys and uh, veteran coaches. So I think that they they could turn it in. But, I mean, I think that that's – and when you're talking about year five and season four under Bobby Houck, make no mistake, if final four or bust is, is what the expectation is internally. So how do they handle that when they project it to the rest of the world? And then I'll get you out of here on this one. And uh, at the risk of possibly making uh, some some people in Montana mad or possibly, you know, making them very happy with this one, what percentage chance do you give Montana State to make it back to the FCS championship game in 2022? And you can't say right at 50%, you know, 50% answer is not, is not allowed. So what percentage chance uh, do you give the Bobcats to make it back to Frisco? Montana State, they have a lot to replace. It's not just Troy Anderson. But I do think they have so many options to replace him. That's a rare thing for the FCS. Like a lot of times if you lose a Daniel Hardy, then you have one or two other guys. They're like, well, that guy could be the next guy as an edge guy. Or if you lose a Chase Benson, you have one or two other guys. Man, maybe that guy could be the next guy. Or, you know, you lose guys in the secondary. The one thing the Cats got going is they have so many options for who could be the next guys. I was watching them in the spring game on Saturday. They got, I mean, I don't know, eight corners, maybe nine corners that can play. None of them are really, you can't really discern them between each other, which, I mean, that could be a criticism that none of them are more elite than the others, but that's the situation you want to be in. If you need four of them to pan out, you got 12 of them to pick from. That's a great, way better situation than needing four of them to pan out and you only got five of them to pick from. So, and that's kind of across the board. I think they have eight or nine offensive linemen to choose from to sort of rise up to be these next guys. So now I guess we'll see how does the system, how does the program work uh, with, Brett Vegan, like how much how much does the NDSU in him and how much does what he learned and take carried over from Craig Bull set them up? Because North Dakota State is better at this than anybody in college football in terms of losing premier guys, replacing them with new guys, then those guys become premier guys. Can Brett Vegan and his staff translate that to the Bobcats? Also, though, 
Like, what's the what's the health prospect of a guy like Isaiah Fonse? He was the bell cow for the Cats. He was one of the best running backs in the country last year. But he didn't participate in spring. He had surgery in the offseason. So where are we at with him? How much does that impact Montana State? Can they find a running back by committee? Can they run the ball like they did over the last handful of years? What sort of progress does Tommy Malott make? All that sort of stuff. That said, though, what you said is so important, Sam. You mentioned all the defections from the FCS. And for better or worse, we're sitting here now where you have sort of these premier flagship programs and then everybody else. I think that it, it alters the expectation. Like the farther, the more diluted the FCS becomes, then the more the expectation rises for Montana, Montana State, North Dakota State, North Dakota, South Dakota State. Like I think that you have to expect those teams to absolutely at least be in the quarterfinals, if not farther. So then it all comes down to how you how do you navigate your schedule? Because as I mentioned, the Cats have only ever won one road playoff game in their history. Guess what? So have the Grizz. The Grizz have only ever won outside of Missoula in the playoffs in their almost 40 postseason wins. Only one of them came outside Missoula. That was in 2008 against James Madison. NDSU is in the same situation, though. People forget that they have been dominating and they've never left Fargo except for to go to Frisco. So how does it play out during the season if you can get all the dominoes to fall your way, you get the injury bug to go your way, and you can set up home games throughout, then you absolutely have a great chance to go on a run. What percentage is if the Cats return to Frisco? Man, I, I don't know. I, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a one out of four. I'm gonna give it a 25% chance, which is actually pretty good considering you lose such a star-studded class. But, but if things go their way, I also think that they could absolutely be there again. So uh, we'll see. A lot to be determined for both the Montana schools. Yeah, there, yeah, and there's so much that goes into that as far as, you know, the draw you get in the in the 2014 playoff bracket um, and all those things. So, um, yeah, it should be, should be really fun uh, to follow these programs in 2022 and, and see what the Bobcats can do and see what the Grizz can do and see what type of run they can make. So, uh, well, hey, Coulter, that's all I had for you. I uh, appreciate you giving me uh, several, several minutes here today joining the show to talk about Montana and Montana State football. Always a blast to, to catch up with you and, and most likely we'll be running into you in person at some point this upcoming fall so uh thanks again for joining the show Coulter. thanks for having me man love being here and uh, appreciate all the coverage you give as well so thanks so much for putting it all in perspective for all of us super valuable and uh, super good to have you and hero sports out there too so thanks so much for having me man yeah absolutely thank you everyone for listening and i'll catch you guys on the flippity flip Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications.